Have you ever felt powerless? You know, today I've watched as our Advent candle, the last of the ones around the wreath, has been lit, and I've thought back over the past few weeks, and, you know, it's one of those things that marks the passage of time, one week and two and then three and four. And, and when we think about that, it's one of those areas in life where we have really no power, right? We can't stop the march of time that goes forward seemingly more quickly as we go through life. It's just one of those things we cannot control. Uh, there's lots of those things. I can remember back when our oldest daughter was born. I've told a little bit about this before, that she was born 10 weeks early. She was three pounds and two ounces, and she was in the hospital for about six weeks as she gained weight. And the only thing that Leanne and I could really do, especially early on in that process, was go to the hospital and sit beside her little bed and look at her. And we could just hold her for a few minutes because her heart rate would go up or down and they didn't want us touching her that much. So there she sat. And, and yeah, you know, you might say, well, you could have prayed. And we did. But when you're a brand new parent and your baby's that small, prayer doesn't feel like it's doing a lot. Although we know it was because it's a powerful God. But we felt very powerless in those moments to do anything that would meaningfully help her to grow and to get better so that we could take her home. Maybe you know what that's like. We experienced that in, in lots of different ways. This week we watched the news and saw on Tuesday over 100 children who were brutally killed in the school in Pakistan. And I think of those families and I think of those lives that are snuffed out and it feels like it's something that's just out of our control, and it is. We are powerless to stop that at this moment. We felt that way on 9-11. Anytime there's some natural disaster, a big storm, a hurricane, an earthquake, we are powerless to stop it. In fact, we may watch the news and watch it coming, and we can do nothing about it. We are powerless. Maybe you know what that's like on a personal level. This may be one of those years where someone you love past and you're in the midst of grief even today and you just had to watch it happen maybe over a span of weeks or months as you watched life sort of slip away from someone you loved and you were powerless to deal with it there was nothing you could do to stop it maybe in a different sort of personal way temptation is present in your life and there are times that it feels like that temptation is taking over your life and you feel although we know we can make better decisions you feel powerless in the face of it there are lots of areas in which we feel powerless the truth is though we are a community of people who believe in a powerful God we're a community of faith and so we turn to God, and in some ways in the midst of our powerlessness, we look at Him and say, God, why have you not acted? We just don't understand. I mean, God surely in all His power could have dealt with some of those things and solved those problems, but He didn't. And we don't know about it. We don't know what to do about it. I mean, it's just there. It's part of life, and we are powerless to deal with it. So what do we do with that? What do we as a community of faith? Today we finished the series, Here is Our King, and we're thinking about Jesus coming as king and then returning as king at the end of all things. And if we worship a God that we say is king, not a God who just sort of sits off in the distance and watches what happens here, but a God who is active and engaged in human history, how do we explain the fact that sometimes God doesn't do what we desperately need him to do? What do we do with that? Well, I'm not going to be able to give you a simple answer to that because there's not one. I'm not even going to be able to give you a complete answer. 
but I do want to speak from Scripture and allow Scripture to talk into our lives so that maybe we can begin to get a glimpse of some answers that would be helpful. Today we're going to turn to Micah, Micah chapter 5, another Old Testament prophet that we don't get to very often, but yet speaks into the life of Jesus and really foretells who Jesus would be. Now, some of the prophets we've looked at have been more toward the end of Israel and Judah's history. We back up a little bit with the story of Micah. Micah preaching during the time where God was looking forward and could see the people of Israel were sinning, were apathetic about everything that he was calling them to do, and so he begins to pronounce judgment. He begins to say, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be an army come in and really bring destruction to the land of Israel and Judah, and he's going to take some of you away into exile, and some will never return. But even in the midst of that destruction, there will be hope. Because God will not have forgotten you, and God is going to send a Savior. And this is how it's all described. Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. Common to read at Christmas time because it's quoted in the gospel stories. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So what's the prophet saying? There's going to come a new leader the Messiah he's called elsewhere. And he's going to come from Bethlehem. Now, the city of Bethlehem, small town, especially in that day, but it would have had great meaning for them. It's one of those places where one name was associated with this town. Like if I say Mount Vernon, most of us think George Washington. If I say Monticello, most of us think Thomas Jefferson. If you said Bethlehem in ancient Judea, they would have immediately thought of David. And what's interesting to me is when they begin to think of this new leader being in the line of David, from the city of David, what they might have thought is, what about Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the place where David reigned. Jerusalem is the place where the temple was built and where the king's palace was. And ultimately where David's descendants all sat on the throne and where they lived. Wouldn't it make sense that the next king, the next ruler, would come from Jerusalem? But that's not what God says. It's as if God is saying, we're going to start over. I'm going back to the place where David was chosen out of obscurity to be the king of Israel. And I'm going to choose another one that maybe no one would expect. Who in the beginning comes from obscurity just as David did. And we're going to start over because this line of kings has become corrupt. And God is planning to do a new thing. To bring a new leader over Israel but whose origins are from old. And certainly I think that means he comes from the line of David. But more than that, maybe even Micah didn't understand that when we think of Jesus, his origins are much older than David. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus was present even at creation. He is part of this God who is yesterday, today, and forever, existing eternally. So Micah may not have understood all that, And yet we can see it so clearly today. Verse 3. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. So what's happening? There's going to be this destruction. There's going to be a very difficult time. A time that's going to last hundreds of years as the people of Israel wait on God to act. We've talked about that in the series. But at the end of that... The moment that begins to change everything is when she bears a son, when Jesus is born. 
Micah looking forward to this happening hundreds of years later, 700 years later, that that moment would begin the change of everything because God became human flesh. God chose to be among us. Again, we are not worshiping a God who sits off in the distance and sort of watches as human history unfolds. God engages and is, in, is active in human history, planning and then doing things that change our destiny. That's the kind of God we worship. Verse 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. Oftentimes a king in the ancient world was referred to as a shepherd. And it makes sense when we think about how different the world was then. Uh, They didn't have nation states with firm borders that were enforced by large armies, and they didn't have this big governmental structure, some kind of bureaucracy. Instead, they had a king who was often chosen because he was the best leader. And he gathered the clans and the chieftains of those clans, and he ruled through them. And so in many ways, it was like a shepherd over a flock. And so this new leader would be a shepherd who cares for his sheep. And what did Jesus say? I am the good shepherd. Shepherd. He would care for us, the prophet says. And then later in that same verse... They will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. And we see that take place in the book of Acts. When it all begins in Jerusalem, and Jesus tells the disciples, go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then it plays out in the ministries of people like Peter and Paul and probably others that we don't even have any record of. But we know in human history, as we look back, we can see the message of Jesus surrounding the globe. And really, there's very few places today where they have not heard of Jesus. The kingdom of God stretching across the globe. And not an earthly kingdom, not one king over the whole earth, not one king who's proclaimed with glory and power in an earthly way, but Jesus that is worshipped in virtually every country across the globe. Again, maybe not exactly what Micah expected, but just what God had planned. And then verse 5, just the beginning line, and he will be our peace. Notice that it doesn't say he's going to make peace. He's going to be a great diplomat. He's going to serve as a mediator, but he will be our peace. What a great verse that is. Because it points to the fact that we are corrupted because of our sin. We are separated from God because of our sin. And Jesus stands between us and God because it was only Jesus who could go to the cross at the fullness of time and offer himself as a sacrifice. And because he has chosen to do that, he stands between us and God and becomes our peace. I happen to be reading this morning Hebrews chapter 10. That well, Hebrews is tough because sometimes it takes all this background in Israelite history and then takes some um, Greek philosophy and throws it in and you have to sort of try to understand where he's going. But the point of Hebrews 10 is this. The priests would come to the holy place and then in the temple, the most holy place, only the high priest once a year. And when he went, he would always have to take blood because that would be an atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. 
But he says, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And he didn't bring a perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice, and he gave himself. And so no longer do we have to bring blood, and no longer does Jesus have to come and offer himself again and again and again. Once for all, Jesus offered himself, and so we can have forgiveness. And he becomes our peace because he offered his own blood for us. A fulfillment, again, of Micah. So what's Micah telling us? If we look at the way Micah talks about Jesus and how this is fulfilled in places like John and Paul's writings, and then even through Hebrews, what we recognize is Jesus stands between us and our enemies. Jesus stands between us and the things that threaten to destroy us. How does that work out? You know, I think part of us wants to say, well, what I want that to mean is that if I become a follower of Jesus, if I dedicate my life to Jesus Christ, then my life is going to be easy and God's going to take away all the problems from my life. But we know it doesn't work that way. I mean, we want it to. We want God to take away our pain, and we want him to take away our stress and our struggles. Today, some of you are here, and you're thinking, you know, wow, we've already spent too much money on Christmas. And, or you're thinking, I wish we had more to spend on Christmas. It seems like everybody else in my family has more, and it's a little bit embarrassing, and it's a struggle for you. Or you're thinking, you know what, I love my family, but I'm going to spend a lot of time with them this week. Maybe too much time. And you're already stressing about that. Small things and large, we just wish God would just sort of take it away. Isn't he powerful enough to do that? And he is. But God works in ways that sometimes we don't understand. And the truth is that there are times when things really bad happen. We don't get it. But what we do know is that part of the promise that Jesus offers to us, even in the Great Commission itself, is that he will be with us to the end of the age, until he returns. And so when things happen and they aren't going the way we want them to go, and maybe it causes us a lot of pain, maybe it changes the course of our lives because bad stuff happens, even though God doesn't always make that magically go away, what we do know is that in the midst of that, he continues to be present. He is with us. And sometimes that's what we need more than the problem just disappearing, is Jesus walking alongside us. Jesus being present when we feel alone. Jesus being present when we feel weak. Jesus' power being at work in our lives when we feel powerless. But the truth is God doesn't just stand by. And some of the things, some of the forces that are at work against us that we have no control over, God does deal with. We cannot change the fact that we are sinners. Certainly we can change decisions that we make, but Paul says we're all sinners, and if we look in our history, we know, if we look in our own past, we are all too aware of the fact that we're sinners. We can't change that. We can't change the past. And we know that our sin separates us from God. But what we also know 
is that because of the power of Jesus at work in the cross, our sin can be forgiven. And so it's not held against us by God. And we can have that relationship once more with the God who created us. Can we solve that problem on our own? No. But Jesus can. And we know that every one of us are going to die. It's going to happen. But we also know that in Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, we are promised resurrection and we are promised eternal life. Jesus changes the course of our eternity. Do we have power to deal with that? No. We are completely powerless when it comes to defeating the power of death. But Jesus is not. And so on some of those things that matter for eternity, we have no power to deal with them. But God has chosen to do it. It's part of this message of Jesus that we want to share in. Just three days from now, Christmas Eve, we'll come together, and I'm looking forward to having our first Christmas Eve with, with this church family. We'll celebrate the birth of Jesus. We'll celebrate what God has done. But the truth is, if that moment is when everything begins to change, it is only fulfilled at the end of Jesus' life. Because we can't celebrate the, the birth of Jesus. We can't get excited about that without recognizing that it leads inevitably to his death on a cross. But the good news is that the story doesn't end there. We also know that we can't celebrate Good Friday and remember what Jesus did on the cross without also looking to Easter Sunday and his resurrection. And as we sort of finish Advent, the truth is we also recognize that that's not the end of the story. That we look forward and we prepare for the time when Jesus will return. And we pray today that God will make us into the kind of people who anticipate and look forward to what God will do in the end. And so we are changed so that he will change us to make us the kind of people who anticipate how God will fulfill all things, everything that he created when Jesus returns. And so we celebrate today the fact that in Jesus' birth, and in Jesus himself, he stands between us and our enemies. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful you're at work. We're thankful you're not a God who just sits by and watches. A God who is just sort of a force, a power at work, but a personal God who came in the form of Jesus. God, we pray that you will transform us into a people who live because we know our lives have been spared and who live knowing that there is eternal life that we look forward to. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And we want to give you an opportunity today to respond. Maybe you know that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. No, it doesn't make all the problems magically go away but it does change some things that count the most. Or maybe you recognize it's time to become a member of our church, to be part of this body, 
If you made either one of those decisions, let us know. Come forward as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.